Welcome to Faith Fondue, a podcast featuring author and speaker Haley D. Maria and teacher and blogger Ann Strickers. Faith Fondue will feature a melting pot of topics ignited by a flame, our faith, and guided by the Holy Spirit. It is the week of July 4th. We are wrapping up a long holiday weekend. It is also the 14th week in ordinary time. And good morning, Anne, or good afternoon, whenever you are listening to this. How are you? Hi, Haley. Good to be with you. And hi to our listeners. This week, we will talk a little bit about fireworks. We're going to talk about the Olympics and Olympic trivia. We have, let's just touch on the NBA finals. And in our spiritual stew, we'll be talking about, and Haley's been focusing on the saints. So maybe something from St. Thomas, the apostle. And we'll continue our theme of talents. So tell me, Haley, um, you know, we're recording today on July 5th. We usually record on Sundays, but yesterday was a, well, today's the national holiday observed. Yesterday was Independence Day, the 4th of July, which is actually my favorite holiday. And I'm anxious to hear, how was your 4th of July? You know, it was great. It was, um, you know, it it is, it's our country's independence, which of course is super complicated when you really get into it, you know, as history majors. Um, you know, what that all means. Um, But it was, you know, it was significant to us for a couple of reasons. One, you know, we are pretty well vaccinated here in Maryland. Of course, my whole family is. So it was, it's really, it seemed like the first real holiday and celebration we have had since the pandemic started. Um, Everything seemed perfectly back to normal, which I know we don't really want to go back to normal. But in terms of celebrating and holidays, um, it did. You know, we we had a gathering with some friends on Saturday and none of us were worried, you know, are we, are there too many people here? Is this a bad idea? You know, you don't kind of have that guilt looming over you or just yes. that fear looming over you. Um, so that was, great. yep, really fun. You know, we watched fireworks last night and, you know, again, you can just be, even though we're outside and and even I think by this time last year being outside was, you know, we felt relatively safe, although you still worried about crowds. Um, you know, it was just nice to see the fireworks again. Um, I felt like Annapolis put on two different shows. We had, you know, kind of the fireworks and then what you, everyone would consider the finale. And then they kind of started up again. So we were all joking, oh, they did 2020 fireworks and then they did 2021's fireworks. Yeah. Um, but it was really, it was just, it, it felt like a celebration of, okay, we are, we are really moving, you know, in what I would consider the right direction in terms of being over, or at least moving through the pandemic. Um, but it was also, you know, an interesting holiday for Jamie and me because, um, you know, we're celebrating independence and we now have these very independent two teenage boys who were not here. So, you know, of course, Edward, I've mentioned before, is is down in North Carolina working as a camp counselor. So he was not home. And um, James was with us on, on Saturday, but then left for the beach on um, the morning of the 4th. And he was gone. So it was just Jamie and I. Um, so we we're sort of celebrating the independence of our kids, which was, you know, after 18 years of celebrating with holidays, it's different. Um, no, no better, no worse. Um, just, you know, kind of different and fun. So um, it was nice. But, you know, I'd love to hear why this is your favorite holiday. You know, what makes it so? And, and what did you do, Anne? Yeah, well, I don't know, you know, a couple of years, maybe 10, 15 years ago, I just love, you know, first of all, 
red, white, and blue and the middle of summer. I think, you know, part of being a teacher is just not having to work in the summer. And this just gives people a reason to be together, um, be outside, which I love to swim. And, you know, maybe it just doesn't have the same expectations that some of our other holidays carry or, you know, anxiety about it. It's just kind of like a a bonus holiday. And um, where my parents live, I grew up in Walnut Creek, but this town they live in Danville has like an awesome 4th of July parade. And I've gone for many years. I've taken my nieces in recent years. They come in from Washington, D.C. and um, meet up with another friend and her family. And there's like city ordinance. You can't put your chairs out until a certain time the night before. And it just feels like small town America. And you see people and that's part of it. So Unfortunately, it was canceled for this year. They're going to actually do it at Labor Day, but I still went down to downtown Danville with a friend. We walked on the main street. You know, a really good Independence Day is me then having pancakes for breakfast and then having some sort of barbecue in the evening. Um, I've spent some Fourth of Julys in some pretty awesome places like, you know, in our nation's capital, obviously having lived there or you know, Huntington Beach, California has the oldest 4th of July parade west of the Mississippi. And I have to tell you, I mean, and they had a 5k in the morning again, which I love to start the day with like an exercise. Then we watched the parade and all of these homes, they must've been like cottages or bungalows. Um, maybe for people a little more inland who had like a summer place on the beach and, it's like Christmas, like people full on decorate and, you know, it's just funny to see what people are going to wear. I wear this golf skirt and it's the constitution. It's like red, white, and blue. Um, you know, some flag stuff can be pretty tacky. This one is, you know, I'd like to think it's not tacky. I don't know if I should be wearing the constitution, but, um, it's a fun skirt. I wear it honestly, like every year. So, you know, it's, it's just fun to see how Americans decide to engage and celebrate, you know? Yeah. You know, it's interesting when you first started talking about this holiday, it's one of the, First of all, it's a major holiday, right? We yeah, would not classify. Can we clarify that? Yeah, yes. we would not mention that we would not classify this as a B-list holiday, as we discussed earlier in our podcast. But it is, you know, it's not there. There really is no religious origins to it. Um, you know, so many of the other holidays that we talk about. You know, there's the big ones, obviously. You know, Christmas and Easter, and then even when we were talking about. Um, Oh, gosh, now I can't remember what they were. Some of them even started as religious, you know, religious pagan holidays and stuff. Oh, right, Mardi Gras. Right, Mardi Gras. Roots. Right, but But the 4th of July does not, right? In fact, we're celebrating our independence from, you know, a a religious nation um, and and celebrating freedom of religion. But it it also hasn't become, therefore, it is not a religious holiday that turned very commercial, you know, like Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Easter. It is just truly a holiday to celebrate each other, you know, our country, anything, whatever we love in our, about living here, that's what we're celebrating. So um, it's kind of fun in that sense. Yeah. Now I've been out of the country on the 4th of July. I was on an immersion in Mexico and I think I was on immersion in El Salvador. And I, I had said the second time, I'm like, I'm not doing this again. Cause I 
like I said, I love the 4th of July and for me to miss that. And it might be just, again, a rite of passage of summer, a turning point. And one of the women I worked with was not upset at all to miss the 4th of July because she was not, um, she just struggled with some of the complexities of our country. And I was just like, okay, I need to keep you at an arm's length because this is my day. And I, I truly believe we have to celebrate. We have to be able to celebrate some things in life. Yes, we can um, reconcile, own our, our misgiving, you know, our faults, all of those things. We must do those things and we must celebrate. If we can't reflect and like appreciate what it means to be an American, then I don't, I don't know that we can or should do those other things as well because we do have certain freedoms. We do have so many opportunities. I remember even just living in DC and being on the mall and I would look around and there were people that clearly had just moved to this country and they were celebrating and no one's saying don't. It's totally inclusive in that way um, in terms of what if you want watermelon or just water balloons or whatever you're doing. Fireworks are free for all. So enjoy, come one, come all. Yeah, America. (laughs) God bless America, right? Yeah, we need it. Yeah, no, exactly. And, you know, there there is such a feeling of patriotism also, you know, at this time of year as we're watching different Olympic trial events um, and moving towards the Olympics. I don't know if you watched any of the the track and field or, um, you know, of course, I was watching the swimming Olympic trials. They ended, you know, a little over a week ago. Um, it's been fun to see the different, um, you know, Notre Dame Olympians who have made the team this year. Um, and even a few, I know there's a swimmer who, um, who'll be a sophomore this year. He's actually from the Annapolis area. He made, um, the Olympic team from Panama, you know, I, that's something to celebrate Mm -hmm. too. Um, but you know, I, I like many people, I don't know if I can say most people I'd like to think so are a huge fan of the Olympics. Um, you know, there's so many sports that, I tend to only follow and watch during the Olympics. Um, with, like many people do swimming. I happen to follow swimming all the time, but I know, um, you know, many people only follow swimming during the Olympic years. But, um, you know, I agree. If we can't come together and be proud to represent our country or celebrate our country, um, yeah, that's a that's a tough day for somebody if they can't yeah. do that. Or just a missed opportunity, you know? I mean, right. I really think we can live with both. And I, I want to encourage us to try that. Um, but yeah, in terms of the Olympics, um, you know, so I was in Santa Cruz for the 4th of July. Santa Cruz from the Bay Area is not far at all. It's a great, there's a beach boardwalk there. It's, you know, this boardwalk is over 100 years old. And it's just, it's um it really is a slice of American life. When you, anytime you go to a boardwalk, you see families, you see, I mean, truly true diversity of age and, you know, different types of people. You get, you get it all. We were on the beach. We had s'mores last night. Um, you know, there's fireworks over the beach and, and whatnot, but there was a group of us at a house and I happened to bring this magazine that had a crossword puzzle and it was all about the Olympics. And I have found that crossword puzzles can be a great way. This might be a a tip or a takeaway for our listeners. Bring your crossword puzzle when you're a guest, because sometimes when you're a guest, you're kind of sitting around, you know, they might be like cleaning up the kitchen and don't want your help or other people are cleaning. And at some point it's just too much, you know what I mean? To, to step in. And so I started this crossword puzzle and I would ask people their questions and it was really fun. Like, 
There are 205 of these in the 2021 Olympics. And we really struggled. I had to look it up. I know, well, you, but can you give us a hint with how many letters? <laughs> yeah, it begins with a C. Oh, not countries, is it? It is. It is oh. countries. So I didn't have the C, but very good. Yes. And the 2024 Olympic Games will be held in? Noel, I know 2028 is LA. Yes, correct. 2024 is in Europe somewhere. It is. Paris? Yeah, oh, way to go. Oh, oh, okay. I need you for my crossword. You did. <laughs> and then originally, what did Olympians wear around their neck? When they won or just when they competed? Yeah, when they won, the winners. Mm. Well, it wasn't those olive branches, was it? It was, Oh, yeah, my gosh. Okay. Yeah, yeah, the olive branch. Yeah, you're hired. Very good. Very <laughs> good. <laughs> um, oh, that's so fun. I might have to, maybe I'll look online and see if I can find that. I would, I would yeah. enjoy that. I'm not a crossword puzzle. I'm more of a Sudoku. I'm better with numbers than I am with okay. words, okay. Um, but maybe yeah. I could do an Olympic one. And it's just funny what people know, you know, the most decorated, uh, so oh, I just gave it the most decorated Olympian of all time. Is... Well, I do know that of course, Michael Phelps. Yeah. Yes. Correct. <laughs> yes. So, um, but yeah, it's just a fun way to put it out there. And, and people are very passionate about the Olympics. And I was surprised because um, I had two friends over for dinner this week and they were like, can you believe we're holding the Olympics? And they were, I don't want to say skeptical, but they um, were not on board with it entirely. And I had just happened to listen to a podcast from the New York Times, The Daily, about the Olympics in Tokyo. And, you know, to, Japan has a very low vaccination rate. It's like 7% of its people, but they were able to contain COVID fairly well. But all these athletes coming in from different countries and, you know, there's going to be no fans. So they were talking about like what the experience will be like. And, and someone said, well, can't they bring, I said, you know, different things like they can, Coco Goff, the tennis player, she can bring her parents because she's under 18. So I thought that was interesting. So if you're under 18, you can bring a guest, but everybody else is on their own. So they were not necessarily, I don't know, they didn't out and out say they didn't think they should have the Olympics, but um, I'd love to hear your thought um, on whether we should have, you know, what's your thought if somebody was to ask you, should we have these games knowing this vaccination rate, knowing what, you know, the variant on these people coming in? Yeah. I mean, my first, my first thought and question to you, of course, is are they athletes, right? Are the people who are skeptical about holding, you know, the Olympics at all, are they athletes? I'm going to guess no, or at least not at a certain level. Um, I, I just think, you know, and I was nowhere near, you know, at a, at a point where I was, you know, going to the Olympics, especially during my college career. But when you participate in an Olympic sport and you play at a certain level, there, there is an understanding of what it takes to make an Olympic team and to compete at the Olympic level. And it's extraordinary what it takes for athletes to be able to do that, um, you know, and, and I really just know swimming. So, you know, for mm-hmm. unless you are Michael Phelps, Katie Ledecky, you know, back in our age, Janet Evans, you know, growing up, there are there are of course the exceptions, but for most of the most of the swimmers who make the Olympic team, they've got one shot at this, and not only do they have one shot at it, but they've got one shot to be at the peak of their career, at the height of their taper 
right on their event that day, that race to make the team. It is, and it is literally hundredths of a second that can prevent you from either making or not making the team. I mean, it is extraordinary. Um, the, the very, very, very small window and opportunity that the most elite swimmers even have to make the Olympic team. So to take that opportunity away from someone is, to me as an athlete, would be devastating. I mean, they've worked mm-hmm. their entire athletic careers for this. So yeah. even if we had held the Olympics last year, the this, the Olympics swim team for the United States would, would have been different last year than it is this year because you would have had swimmers who hit the height of their, you know, their swimming career at a different time. And that's yeah. really unfortunate for those athletes. Now, we'll never know, of course, who would have made it last year. Yeah. But I can guarantee you it would not have been the same team that we have this year. And, yeah. and that, you know, that's really going to not sit well with some of the swimmers, not in a negative way, but just in a, gosh, what could have been, you know, maybe that yeah. swimmer that got third place by a hundredth of a second that didn't make the team this year, maybe they would have made it last year. Um, so to, to, for me, I am all about playing, um, you know, yeah. and we, we just, you know, we looked this up there were, there are the Olympic, the modern Olympic games, um, have only been canceled three times and it was for World War One, and then twice during World War Two. So, you know, the pandemic now thankfully didn't cancel these games. It just postponed yeah. them. Um, and I'm really, really grateful for that because really, yeah. again, in Olympic sport, there there's yeah. nothing greater um, yeah. than the Olympic Games. It's why we all watch. It's why we all watch right. sports that we don't ever watch, you know, any other time because they're so yeah. exciting. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I so value your perspective on that. And, um, you know, not just for those athletes who are trying to qualify for the first time, but also for like, I don't know, a historical perspective, like somebody like Simone Biles, like if she wants to be considered and maybe she doesn't need it, but to be considered one of the greatest, like, you know, exactly. part of how we look at athletes in history is what they were able to do throughout their career. You mentioned Michael Phelps. So for her, you know, like, I don't know if she was too young the first time or didn't qualify, but you know, like in terms of making her mark historically, it is important that she compete again. I think she's 24 now. So um, in terms of age, there's something, you know, that's important. Um, I guess what's interesting is that the people of Japan are not it's like 10% of the people want the games. So that's, and that's an interesting statistic. Right. Um, I do think, just to go back to your point about the Olympics, and you mentioned Simone Biles, and I think that's a great example. Um, you know, again, I go back to swimming because it's the sport that I know the best. And I think this is probably true with, with track and field athletes, probably most athletes in, in certain sports is, I mean, you you could be a world record holder in, I'm going to pick an event, let's say the 200 fly, and you, which means you are the fastest swimmer in the history of the sport who has ever, ever, ever swum that event. You are the fastest in that event. If you don't make the Olympic team, let's say you, 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 you know, broke that record in 2017 at world championships. I guarantee you most people have never heard of that person. You have to win an Olympic gold medal to yep. really have a name for yourself or yep. be considered one of the greats. Forget the fact that you have the world record and you are the best in that event ever. For some reason, if you don't have that Olympic medal, it just yes. takes something away. And I don't I don't know yeah. why that is, but that it, that's just how it is. In yeah. certainly in yeah. swimming, I'm gonna guess for track and field, you know, some of those kind of individual team event sports, 
Um, you know, same with, same with gymnastics, right? Simone Biles, she doesn't make an Olympic team, but she has, you know, 10 gymnastics world championships. Sure. The gymnastics world's going to know who she is, but if she's not on those Olympic teams, nobody else does. Yeah. Well, you know, two responses to that right away with the NCAA, you know, change in ruling about um, being able to use your image and likeness, for example, for some of those sports, say those mm-hmm. athletes are at Stanford or UCLA or wherever they're swimming, they can then, you know, generate an income based on, you know, they can still stay amateur. They will have to follow the rules, right. In terms of how they, I mean, Stanford has an, an obscene number of athletes in the uh, Olympics every year. It's crazy. Yeah, it's interesting. I was just reading. So this is, and, and this actually should be a great topic for us one time because it's super complicated and multifaceted. Yeah. Um, but I did just, I was reading an article about a gymnast at LSU who has the most Instagram followers than any other collegiate athlete. And yeah, I mean, they're estimating she could make two, $3 million based on her, you know, just her social media following. Of course, yes, th- this is right. somebody I have never heard of. And she's yeah. not even on the Olympic team because um, I had right. to look her up for that too. Um, but anyway, it's um, so there is there is something about the Olympics, whether it's the prestige, whether it's, you know, the kind of the Americans version of the World Cup where the entire country watches, yep. right? You know, yeah. I, I think, you know, I was actually talking to my son about, the you know soccer in the olympics and you know soccer in the olympics is a big deal to us but to the rest of the world it's not right they send like their i don't even i'll call it the b team even though that's not you know what it's called but they send their like 21 u team or 22 u team or something like that um so anyway it's there's something about the prestige of the olympics that just gives you that credibility as a world-class athlete even if you are um, you just, you kind of have to have that, that Olympic title next to you. <laughs> yeah. But it I is interesting you. to know that, yeah. you know, I didn't know that, that Japan did not, does not want people there. I um, thought it was interesting too, yeah, because to read up on that. a sports loving country sure. and I, my response, well, first of all, they were, I think it's really interesting why their vaccination it's, it's actually worth listening to. I'll, I'll share the podcast because they're even their the story behind their vaccination rate it's it's really about the culture and like not trusting something from outside so they had to kind of convince people that they had to run clinical trials in the country for an extended period of time and then you know since they didn't come up with the vaccine there's some distrust of like these pharmaceutical companies so kind of that's why these um clinical trials were going longer. And December is kind of the date by which they've been told, okay, we're going to have more of a rollout. But I would offer, you know, to the people of Japan, the experience of, and this could be also not just Americans point of view, you know, here in this country, we had a bubble for the NBA. We had it, it worked really well. I mean, we've done this in the Bundesliga in Germany, I mean, they were the first. It's not perfect, but by and large, it works. Even MLB, the men that got COVID, it's literally because they did not follow the protocols. For example, one of the players like didn't follow the bubble rules and like spent the night with his girlfriend somewhere else and like didn't follow curfew. So it's like, again, these are people who are making the wrong choices. But if we make the right choices, which we are informed about, we can be safe. And, um, you know, the, even the athletes experience will be very different. There won't be fans. Their families won't be there 
like I said, unless they're under 18, um, you know, one legislation that was just passed is they will allow nursing mothers to bring their child. They weren't even going to allow that. So it is going to be very strict. Um, but and, they're, but they're you know, competing, but they'll get the experience. Exactly. Yeah. And right. I, and I would imagine yeah. that any Olympic athlete who has the opportunity to compete will take the restrictions, you know, of course, wish it was a different situation, but just be so grateful to play. Um, and yeah. I will have to do, I will do some more reading and, and that is interesting about Tokyo or just J- the J- Japan in general. Um, but yeah. you mentioned the NBA and of course we are heading into the NBA finals. Um, there is great Notre Dame representation on both teams. Of course you have Monty Williams, who is the coach of the Phoenix Suns. That is my hometown team. I have been a Suns fan my entire life. I of course remember you know, then the 93 series when they played in the finals against the Bulls, it was real. I mean, I remember that. Um, I also really enjoyed watching kind of the Bulls view of it. You know, when we watched, um, you know, the Michael Jordan sure, uh, yeah. documentary, it was kind of fun to see that side of it and then watch it with my family and kind of explain our side of it. You know, being in Phoenix, there was certainly Suns mania back in 93. I'm sure there is in Phoenix yeah. right now. Um, I'm a big fan of Monty Williams. He, um, you know, we overlapped a little bit at Notre Dame and, um, you know, I knew John McLeod was the head coach, basketball coach then. Mm -hmm. He's a Phoenix guy. Um, you know, he's someone we knew personally, you know, just personally outside of sports. Um, so, you know, got to not know him well at all, but, you know, meet Monty Williams when I was there. So I'm a big fan of his and would love, of course, the Suns to win. Um, but I'm also a big fan of Pat Connaughton and, um, you know, I wouldn't be disappointed to see them win either. My question is, and this is actually, this will be my spiritual, my takeaway. I am curious to know if we, if Notre Dame has ever had an NBA champion. Oh, I I would think so with, um, what's his name? Bill Lambier. Right. Yeah. Bill Lambier played with the uh, Pistons. There you go. Then that yeah. would be my answer. Um, so now I don't have a takeaway. Adrian Dantley was, I think, also on that team. AD went to ND. Yep. Yeah. So I'm sure there are others. Yeah. Um, we've definitely so had women. With we Bruce have Black. had women, and it's but it's certainly been a long time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great question. It might be fun to list all the all the former. There's got to be more than a, a few. I mean, maybe not a ton, but um, yeah. But those were good. Good to pull those out yeah. off the top of your head. Uh, I'll share it. But yeah, Monty Williams, there was a, a pretty long piece on him in Sports Illustrated, um, had uh, just a, an interesting life. Like he has a heart issue, mm-hmm. had a pretty risky surgery, had to stop playing pretty hard to believe he went back and that it was OK. And then, as many people know, his wife, Ingrid, was killed in a car accident. Um, they have several children. I had to put the article down uh, when I read it. It was that hard to read. Um it was really beautiful, but it was also, it was tough. And a number of people in basketball really reached out to him. Kevin Durant was one of them, but uh, I think when he was an assistant with the Thunder Mm -hmm. and, you know, wanted him to get back in when he could, but yeah, it's just, it's an incredible story of a resilient man who has honestly seen a lot. Yeah. So Good luck to the Suns. And yeah, Pat Connaughton is the first cousin of my good friend, Aaron Bergen. So that's always kind of fun. Um, Following him all along, her dad and his mom are siblings. 
and Pat's really tall and um, Aaron's not. So, we, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just uh, her kids have just obviously delighted in his career. And I don't know, on to, on to Kupo, I don't say that he's hurt. So I don't yeah, know that the yeah. Bucks will be. Well, you know, Baltimore's a big fan of Pat Connaughton, but they're hoping he doesn't do well because, you know, he was drafted by the Orioles. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And for a while, I don't know if he still is, for a while when he was playing for Portland, um, was still throwing and still wow. training, you know, ke- wow. keeping his arm in shape. That was early in his basketball career. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, you know, basketball was, you know, his first love. I think he was yeah. at the time a better baseball player, you know, certainly from pitching than he was basketball player. But you know, do you he, think, or do you think it's because you can make more money in baseball because you can stay at it longer? I think he is. I think I think he is a better baseball player than he is basketball player. I think if he was doing it for the money, he would have gone to play for the Orioles. Um, and boy, the way we're pitching right now, we could really use him. Um, but I think that's why he kept yeah, his arm. Yeah. In, that's I don't why, know. I don't know that I. I don't know because oh, he's played. If in terms of basketball, he was on the 2015 team that should have been in the Elite Eight. He, yes, yeah. he was, and they and should he, have been. Um, but I also think he, you know, in, in and I remember reading at the time, he said, you know, basketball is my first love. I never knew if yeah. I'd have a no, chance to that. play. And I, you know, the reason he was keeping his arm in shape initially was because he didn't yeah, know how yeah. long his NBA career was yeah, going to last. Yeah. And I would say, you know, unlike some players, he has gotten exponentially better in the NBA. And I think he's had some coaches who have really worked with him and believed in him. And, you know, he's got such a great work ethic and he's really made the most of that opportunity. But I think at the time he didn't know how long it was going to last. So I don't know if he is still throwing, um, which is what they call, you know, pitchers practicing, but um, probably not at this point. Um, But I know he's, I mean, he's getting a decent amount of minutes. Yeah, I, don't, he, I mean, he's playing. It's not yeah. like he's just warming yeah. the bench, right? Um, so right. it's fun to watch. You know those, and it was you. They were so fun to watch. That was probably one of my most fun teams yeah, to watch. It was a great team. Notre yeah. Dame. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yep. good luck to both of them. There's really yeah. for Notre Dame fans, no, you know, loser in these series. But um, I will be cheering for the Suns. <laughs> That makes sense. Yeah, your yeah. hometown team. That's cool. I know that I know the networks hate it. They hate it, but oh well. It is what it is. I know. Yeah. So moving exciting, on to our spiritual stew. Um, mine comes from uh, this weekend's gospel, actually, the third. Um, it was the feast of Saint Thomas the Apostle. It's always interesting to me. Um, you know, you hear about Saint Thomas, but you also hear Saint Thomas the Apostle. You know, that's kind of his whole name. Um, and you know, for me, the local Catholic church near where I grew up, of course I wasn't raised Catholic, so it's not where I went to church, um, was St. Thomas the Apostle. And I had friends who went to church at St. Thomas the Apostle. I had friends who went to school at St. Thomas the Apostle. And that was just something that was a name and I was very familiar with, um, growing up. And then of course, um, when I moved back to Phoenix and was, was working, and living there after I graduated from Notre Dame and went through the RCIA process, I went through that process at St. Thomas the Apostle Church. So that church has, um, it's just has special meaning for me because of that. Um, It was also the church that I used to go to daily mass with, with my grandfather. So for the five years that I was living in Arizona after graduation, before I got married, uh, my grandfather was living with my parents and most days, I would say, you know, five days a week, four weeks a month, I would say at least 18 out of 20 of those 
daily masses. I would pick them up at 4.45. We would go to 5 o'clock daily mass. I'd drop them back off at my parents' house afterwards. Sometimes would stay for dinner, sometimes not. Yeah. It was a really special time for me to spend that time with him. Um, you know, of course, he was Catholic. I, you know, converted during that time. Um, you know, having him there when I converted, you know, being the only other Catholic in my family was so meaningful to me. I mean, this 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 is age like, you know, 91 to 96 for him. Um, and then, of course, you know, my husband and I got married at, then at St. Thomas the Apostle Church. So oh, wow. I that church is is definitely has special meaning for me. It's gone through some bumpy changes and, you know, kind of a rocky road over the past 20 years. Okay. So there's, you know, that part of the, our Catholic faith that we have to deal with as well. Um, but the the gospel reading Always, yeah. on Saturday, uh, you know, is the Doubting Thomas gospel, you know, where yeah. he is doubting and he is questioning. And, you know, there is that line at the end that, you know, so many of us have heard that I think about a lot, actually, uh, more so than I realized and then, you know, read it and heard it. And, you know, it just sticks with me. And that is, you know, blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. And of course, in the gospel, you're talking about, you know, Thomas has seen the risen Christ, you know, Jesus, and he is still doubting, um, you know, and, you know, he's saying, you know, you have seen and you you are still don't believe, you know, blessed are those who have not seen and, and have believed. And you know what, that's millions of people. Um, yeah. And that's pretty amazing. Um, yeah. You know, that there yeah. are, it, it just, it puts in perspective how, just the meaning of faith, you know, again, faith is, you know, believing in something that you can't see or that you don't know for sure. Yeah. And um, so I, I love that gospel because, you know, it is the feast of St. Thomas the Apostle, um, but also just it's the foundation of our faith, you know, believing in something that we haven't seen. Yeah. You know, I've always thought about that. Um, thanks for bringing up, you know, that how it concludes, because it is something that we know through the Beatitudes and whatnot. But Part of me has always wondered if it's actually harder to believe when you've seen, because you still have to like verify or determine, do I believe, do I believe this is true? I mean, if Jesus is the son of man, you know, he's God, like it's almost some ways, I mean, it might be, you know, you would have felt his effect or, you know, been in his presence. So I don't want to underestimate what that must have been like, but also it's kind of like you also have to come to grips with it. Like, okay, I've been part of this. Is that really, is he who he says he is? Right, right. Or is it easier to believe in something maybe you don't really know for sure, but you're exactly, going to believe right? it in anyway? Because you have enough evidence. Right. Well, and then, know. you know, then it comes down to, you know, you know, at, at some point we will have the second coming. And would we believe then? I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. You know, I, I, I get, I get the doubting Thomas, right? Would I, would I, would I, or is it, or you're right. Is it easier to believe in something that maybe we haven't seen? So yeah, just something to think about. Yeah. You know, and when he does encounter the risen Christ and Jesus tells him to put, you know, the, his hands and his wounds and on his side, you know, he says, my Lord and my God. And I just think that is the most beautiful affirmation. I mean, we're supposed to say that, um, you know, during the consecration, when the, when the priest holds up the Eucharist, um, I always try to say that prayer, my Lord and my God, and give St. Thomas the Apostle <laughs> the credit. Yes, because I don't know, it seems like the Apostle part is like a 50-50 if you get that one, right? Yeah. Uh, yes, at best. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
So um, that's a good piece to chew on. Thank you, Haley. Um, my piece for the spiritual stew is kind of um, corollary to last week when we talked about don't be afraid of surprise and that to be a Christian is to constantly encounter surprise that the history of God, salvation history, you know, God reaching out to the, um, on Sinai or Yahweh, excuse me, or Christ's resurrection. Um, but in this gospel on Sunday, Jesus was teaching in the Sabbath. Um, and one of the quotes is when the Sabbath came, Jesus began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished and, um, you know, he's young. There must have been surprise or confusion. Like, how does this person from, you know, Nazareth know and speak with such authority? So they were astonished. And it also ends with like a weird line. Like the gospel says he was surprised at their lack of faith. Or, you know, like it just kind of ends really suddenly, that theme in Mark's gospel. I don't oh. know if you picked that. Well, clearly that's a theme for Mark. Cause if you remember yeah. last week when he told yeah. them yeah. to give somebody something to eat, I was like, what? But yeah. that, that we, Mark needed to take a, a historical writing class or something. Yeah. To... <laughs> Maybe he's a journalist, you know, they sometimes like news articles just kind of end. You're like, okay. Yes. They don't tie it up like we want them to. But, um, I picked up the bulletin. So I don't know if you're a big bulletin person. Love I it. definitely am. Me too. <laughs> I read it so all. I was at Our Lady of Mercy, because I play golf, and this church is very close to where I play golf, and they had a four o'clock, so I was like, perfect, because I knew 4th of July would be tough to get to based on, you know, the morning in Santa Cruz. But I started reading in the in the bulletin, and it speaks about the gospel. And, um, the you know, the, the pastor writes the following. He says, the biggest problem with such an attitude is not that we miss out on the truth or the facts, but that we miss out on the new and surprising gifts others can give us. Like the townspeople in today's gospel story, we too often refuse to allow others to display the talents that can be good news for us. So rather than, you know, looking at this young pre, you know, person who's preaching the word of God with like, wow, and, and delight and surprise, there was skepticism and who is this? And I certainly would have been somebody in that crowd, you know, and as opposed to like, let people show their gifts, let them express their talents, you know, like give them the space to do that. Um, I thought it was just a really helpful reminder for what we had talked about in light of last week. Yeah, absolutely. I love when they connect like that. Right? Yeah. I know. And then, you know, the second reading is a good one. It's from St. Paul. It's a it's a challenge, I think, as a Christian. It's, you know, basically, when I am weak, I am strong. And it's, um, it's used by a lot of non-denominational Christians, that passage. You know, St. Paul has this goad in his side and a thorn that will always remind him that he's dependent on God. And, you know, in our weakness, then we, the point is when we are weak, we can, we can, we are almost like, we have to rely on Christ, right? Because we can't do it. Um, and the first time I ever really kind of heard specifically a non-denominational Christian, like really reference that line was I was able to interview this golfer, Casey Martin, who's very like devoted to his faith. And he used that line. He has like a leg disability and um, it's kind of just guided his life. And I, I think it's really meaningful when you learn, when you, and, you know, meet another person that you respect and then they have kind of a passage of scripture like that, that they let mm -hmm. kind of be part of their own story. So 
I always think of Casey Martin when I hear that line. Um, and anyone else who maybe has the courage to kind of, I don't know, live what that means. Because in my weakness, sometimes my reality isn't to depend totally on God. And I think there's always the invitation for that. Absolutely. Well, and it's always, um, and I know you feel this way too, I always appreciate people being very comfortable and willing to share their faith in that way, right? Who are, you know, they're not ashamed to. Now it's kind of, for lack of a better term, bit some of them in the butt and not really been, you know, career ending. Um, mm-hmm. But I think there is a way to do it that is um, true to themselves and who they are, but also in a way that's, um, you know, not offensive to to people who, for whom, you know, their faith is not as, you know, important or strong. But, um, but I do always love when you are hearing someone speak publicly, and you know, that when they mention their faith, that it is genuine and authentic. Um, There's just something pretty beautiful and powerful in that. Yes. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Because that's really kind of the story of how I came to interview him is I did hear him speak about his faith. And I was like, wow, you, you're speaking about that in a way that other people aren't. And it was because of the, yeah, like you said, the authenticity of it. So, so, Anne, that's my takeaway for the week from the melting pot. I am going to make sure that in any dealings that I have, and, you know, I'm sure there's times you kind of bite your tongue and don't bring up your faith. Um, mm-hmm. I certainly do. I bite my tongue. Um, I'd like to think that I bring it up sometimes, but you kind of know your audience when you can and when you can't. Um, but I'm going to, do more can than can'ts and make sure that it's done in in a way that is genuine and authentic and not offensive to other people. I think that um, I, I, I think that's who I want to try to be. Um, you know, someone who, if I'm thinking it, if I'm feeling it, I should be able to say it and not bite my tongue, but make sure that I say it in a way that is um, authentic to myself, but respectful to you know, to whoever's listening to me. So that is my takeaway for this week. Okay. That's a good, that's a tall that's a order. Hefty one. I know. I mean, every time I've heard you speak, Haley, I think that is precisely what you do. I think that's why your message has such staying power because like, for example, you talk about, you know, it was really the community of faith around me. That is part of why I became Catholic, you know, the prayers of others, you know, Father Malloy, um, can I pray with you? You know, I'm not Catholic, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, those are the things that, you know, I don't know, anybody who hears your formal message. So I, I guess my question is, are you talking about in your day-to-day life? Then? Yes, like, definitely my day-to-day, day-to-day life. life. Right, because I'm thinking, of course, you would think I sounded authentic because I'm speaking, you know, to someone who's receptive <laughs> yeah. to it. Yeah. The keys so, to do it in other settings. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess like one of my questions would be like, so how are we helping in terms of our takeaways? This will be something I'll think about. How are we helping people who are struggling with their faith? You know, who quite honestly might not have faith. Right. Um, Whether they're a doubting Thomas or whether they're in a place where they are so weak, they don't have that strong faith to balance that out. Yeah. I mean, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who's a Jesuit this week and we were talking, like I was talking to him, we were talking about our prayer lives and I was like, wow, what a grace to be able to like really talk about that with someone. And he just said, you know, it's just been so rich. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, I just have a very strong understanding that God has been with me 
God is beside me in this. And he's able to look at his life, like, you know, and see that that's been like literally see that that's been true. What did we say? Blessed are those who have not seen, but right. And he can see it and he still believes, which might be harder. Right. Right. Well, those are good takeaways, Um, you know, as we move through this 14th week of ordinary time. um, Seems a little ordinary right now. We're moving out of a holiday weekend. We're just kind of, you know, again, with both of us working in education, it's just kind of a, you know, slow and steady path with some time off here and there. So enjoy that. Um, But it's always great to have this conversation. It's always regrounding for me. I hope it is for others to just... Think about things in a different way. Think about the regular world in a different way. And um, hopefully be able to speak about and share our faith in an authentic way. And um, invite our listeners, if they ever have questions or comments, maybe responses to what we have shared on the air, um, that would be great to include it in future podcasts. So thank you, listeners. Absolutely. Let us know. Yeah. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Anne. Have a great week.